0: This morning we continue our study through the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus, looking at the Ten Commandments. Last week we began with an introduction of the Ten Commandments. This week we will look at commandment number one. Next week we will take a break of Exodus 20, but stay in this series of the Ten Commandments and look at how Jesus summarized all of them with two commands, love God and love your neighbor. As we dive into the first commandment, I'd like to bring to your attention that in 2013, a study was done, and it found after 2,800 submissions from 18 countries and 27 of the United States, many people submitted what they thought were the current perspective, their current perspective of the Ten Commandments. So, people are asked in this study, what are your Ten Commandments? They got all these responses, and there were 13 judges, and they selected the 10 winners. Commandment number one, be open-minded and willing to alter your beliefs with new evidence. Commandment two, strive to understand what is most likely to be true Not believing what you wish to be true. Commandment three. The scientific method is the most reliable way to understand our world. Commandment four. Every person has the right to control their own body. Commandment five. God is not necessary in order for you to be a good person or to live a full and meaningful life. Commandment six. Be mindful of the consequences of all your actions and recognize that you must take responsibility for them. Commandment seven, treat others as you would want them to treat you and can reasonably expect them to want to be treated. Think about them from their perspective. Commandment eight, we have the responsibility to consider others, including the future generations. Commandment 9, there is no right way to live. Commandment 10, leave the world a better place than you found it, or who really cares because there's really no right way to live. These are what are called the 10 non-commandments. This is what men came up with. If you would, let's turn our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, found on page 61 in the Black Bibles. Let's read yet again what God came up with. See how these contrast with these 10 non commandments. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, We have a few more weeks. I'd encourage you to work on memorizing all Ten Commandments. That way, as last week, if someone would ask you, well, what are the Ten Commandments? You might actually be able to name them off. As we turn our attention now to the first of these Ten Commandments, in verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. I have three questions for us with this commandment. Question number one, why should you obey this command? Question two, what is it that you should obey? What what is it that we're prohibited from doing? What are we encouraged to do? There's both a negative and a positive way to look at this command, so that will be question two. What is it? What is it saying? And thirdly, how? How can we obey this command? Those are the three questions in the outline of this morning's message. Let's begin first with question one. Why should you obey this command? In fact, this question has come up earlier in the book of Exodus, so turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 5. So, a few pages to your left. Exodus chapter 5. This question is asked by a man named Pharaoh. He's the king of Egypt. Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Afterward Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. You see, the question's already being asked in the book of Exodus before you get to the Ten Commandments. Who's the Lord? Why should you obey his voice? Why not obey any of the other gods of Egypt? Why should I obey this God? I don't know this God. We have plenty of other gods. And so they did. And the answer God gives as to why Pharaoh should obey the voice of God is ten plagues. John Walton is a professor at Wheaton College here in the Chicago area. He has done extensive work on ancient Near Eastern history, so you can get some of the background of Old Testament books like Exodus. In his overview book of the Old Testament, he has a very helpful chart that says this. Egyptians, you worship the god of Khnum, who is the guardian of the Nile River. You worship Hapi, the spirit of the Nile River, and you worship Osiris, and Osiris, as you'll see, is going to come up later in this list. Osiris was the the premier big dog of the gods, and the Nile was seen as the bloodstream of this big god. Plague number one, Exodus chapter 7. Feel free to turn with me to verse 14 of Exodus 7. that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord. By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die and the Nile will stink and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking the water from the Nile. I don't know who this Lord is. Who? Who's this God of the Hebrews, that I should obey his voice. Why don't I obey my gods who guard the Nile River? Let me tell you why. Those gods are worthless. Watch what I will do. This you will know that I am the Lord. Plague number two. The Egyptians worship Heget, the frog-shaped god. Hmm, interesting Frog-shaped God, huh? You don't know who the Lord is. Well, let me show you who the Lord is. Exodus chapter 8, verses 8 through 11. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord to take away all these frogs from me and my people. Pharaoh calling, saying, hey, your God, he brought all these frogs. Take them away. Moses said in verse 10, be it as you say so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. You see what's happening with these plagues? We worship a frog god. Well, we worship the god who is in control of all the frogs. Watch this. Frogs everywhere. Read the story. I mean, everywhere. They're on over everyone. Could you imagine? Do you like bugs during the summertime? No. Could you imagine frogs climbing all over you? Kids, imagine frogs all over your room in your bed. Your frog god is nothing. I'm doing this so that you will know there is no one like the Lord our God, Yahweh. The Egyptian worshipped Hathor, who was in the form of a cow. She was a mother goddess. They worshipped Apis, who was in the form of a bull and was a symbol of fertility. They worshipped Minervis, who was a sacred bull. Look at Exodus chapter 9, verse 4. The Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and all the livestock of Egypt so that nothing that belongs to the people of Israel will die. God brings death to a bunch of cows. You worship a bunch of bulls and cows? Well, watch what happens to the cows of Israel and the cows of Egypt. Where are they now? The Egyptians worship Seth, the protector of the crops. Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. Thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on yourself and on your servants and all your people so that you will know that there is no one like me in all the earth. And then in verse 24 it says there was hail and fire Flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such that had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field on the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke down every tree of the field, only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were. There was no hail. Well, uh, Seth, where'd you go, buddy? Protector of the crops. the Egyptians worshipped Horus, the sun god. And in the ninth plague, in Exodus chapter 10, the Lord said to Moses in verse 21, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Where's Horus, the sun god, now? And finally, remember I mentioned they had a big, big dog god, the chief of all the gods of Egypt, Osiris. He was the special god to Pharaoh, and he was called the giver of life. And the tenth and final plague comes in Exodus chapter 11, verses four through seven. Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne and to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again, but not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Do you think, if you were reading or hearing the book of Exodus, and you got to chapter 20, that you would have got the point of the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt where there were all those gods, How well did those gods support the Egyptians? There is one true God. Pharaoh asked, Who's the Lord that I should obey his voice? In Exodus chapter 15, verses 11 and 12, after they pass through the waters of the Red Sea, they start singing and celebrating, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. You stretched out your hand and the earth swallowed him. Who is like the God of Israel? Isn't that what we've been singing and celebrating? How great is our God? Who, who's like the God of the Christians? Who's like the God of the Bible? There's no one like him. Why should you obey him? Because who else are you going to obey? Who else will you give allegiance to? Who else is worthy of your obedience? Who else gives a law that's worthy of your allegiance? This is why in our Old Testament scripture reading we read from Isaiah 45, I am the Lord and there is no other. I, the Lord, speak truth. I declare what is right. There is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. The reason you should obey this command is because there's no one else to obey. And remember what we said last week. I want to remind you this every single week. The reason you should obey this command is because this command is to set you free. This command is for free people who have already been set free. This command is not for you to obey for your salvation. This command is for people to understand who God is. He's alone and he is one. So God's laws are not about putting shackles on you, about restricting you from your fun and your good and your enjoyment. They are to help set you free. Some commentators have said God is not just trying to get Israel out of Egypt. He is trying to get Egyptian ways out of Israel. And so he says with the first command, don't live like you used to in those days in Egypt. No other God. Immersed in pluralism, surrounded by idols and false gods, physically slaves, spiritually broken, and subjected to spiritual slavery, God says with this first command, Have no other gods. I want to set you free from these false gods. So if you want to be set free this morning, if you want to live as a free person, if you want to live the way God made you to, or if you want to continue to choose slavery, let's look at our second question. What is it that we should be obeying? What is this command saying? What is its narrow sense? What is its broad sense? What does it mean to have no other gods before me? In the narrowest sense, it means that you should believe that there is one God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. Starts there. You want to please God? You want to obey God? The first thing to do is to believe that he exists and that there's only one of them and that no one else is a God. This rules out atheism. It rules out polytheism. It rules out agnosticism. Well, I don't know what the God is. Well, I believe there's a God, but I don't know. No, here's who he said he is. He's the Lord God. He gives us a personal name. He tells us who he is. We don't have to wonder. Agnosticism ruled out. Atheism ruled out. Now I thought about this for a second. Atheism is certainly an attack against the first commandment, isn't it? Most of you here, I would imagine, are Christians. You've come to worship God. You've sang to God. You believe there is a God. So why talk about atheism? Furthermore, a recent survey said 97% of people believe in God in the United States. So even though atheism seems like they make a lot of noise, they talk a lot, they're in the media. Recent studies say only about 3% of Americans actually believe there is no God. My guess is that part of the reason is because people see right through those contradictions that atheists believe. And so I want us to take just a second to help you all, because I know as a pastor of this church and in ministry, sometimes we question, like, is this all true? Like, are we just wasting our time? Is there really a God? Does God really exist? Atheism is full of so many contradictions that it's a contradiction in and of itself, some of you might believe that God exists today and you can't hold atheism because you've just always grown up in a religious home and if you wanted to just be honest with yourself, that's just all you've ever been taught and that's all you've ever believed. And honestly, I think that's a good reason. Your parents were telling you the truth. You should believe them. Some of you might believe that God exists because you see the beauty and the complexity and the splendor of the created world and you're like, there's no way this is accidental. There's just no way. There's got to be a God. Some of you, you think that something miraculous has happened in your life, and maybe something has, and there's just no other way to explain the events in your life other than saying, God, there has to be a God. How else do you explain this? And I think all of those are great reasons for you to believe in God, but there's a better reason. It's that he's true. He really does exist. The other things I just mentioned are just more your personal feelings about it. Well, I feel this way, and I think this has happened, so this is just the best explanation. The best reason is because God really does exist. So, atheism will say some things are right or wrong, but if you ask them, press on them, what basis what basis does someone have to say that something is right or wrong if they don't believe in God? They might say murder is wrong. We should not kill one another. But is that actually following at the premise that everything was just accidental? There's no God governing the universe. And we're doing survival of the fittest, so we should probably kill off all the elderly and those who are handicapped and anybody that's just sucking resources. If we're really survival of the fittest, let's be consistent with our views. But no, you say murder's wrong. Why? They might respond, well, everybody just knows it's wrong. You shouldn't do it. Everybody knows it's wrong because everybody that you know has been surrounded by a community of people, especially here in the United States, that have been heavily influenced by the Ten Commandments. Remember last week? Everybody's grown up in a worldview that believes in a God. Ninety-seven percent of Americans still believe in it. And so you have for your whole life, if you're speaking to an atheist, you can tell them, for your whole life. You've been surrounded by monotheism and a belief in a god. And you've been taught that things are right or wrong because of God. That's why everybody thinks murder is wrong. So how can someone who denies the existence of God tell you that something is right or wrong? They can't. I remember not too long ago watching a debate between the famous atheist Christian off, auth- I mean a famous atheist speaker Christopher Hitchens, and he said in a book, one of his famous books was, Christianity is bad for the world. And in a debate, a Christian pastor named Doug Wilson said, how can you even tell me something's bad? What is the standard for what makes something good or bad? Just tell me, where where do you get what's right or wrong? He says, you just know, people know that murder is wrong. And so then Wilson went on to explain in the debate, he said, you know what you're doing? You're not actually giving me an answer of what your actual standard or basis for, for morality is. You don't have one. But because you've grown up in the Western culture and been surrounded by people who do have one from God, what you do is you climb into their car of morality and then you decide, I'm going to use that standard of morality and drive it into a tree and murder it, to d- destroy it. You see what's going on? He takes the standards that have been given to him from God, from the Ten Commandments, from Western world. He takes those standards, and then he says, I'm going to use those standards and tell you all that Christianity is bad. And his main reason in the book for why Christianity is bad is because Jesus was killed. And if a God kills Jesus, then he's bad. You see what he's doing? He's climbing into the Christian car, and he's crashing it on purpose. I want to make sure we get this point. Let me give you another example. Atheists, as we just heard in the non-commandments, science is ultimate. Have you experienced this? Science is ultimate. The scientific method is the best way to understand the world. I just read that to you earlier. But ask an atheist, ask yourself, where did science and logic and reason come from? How can you do the scientific method unless you believe in an ordered world? Do you realize that every modern science that you study in school, almost every single one of them has their trace? from a person who was a Judeo-Christian believer in God and realized that God made the world in such a way that there's order and beauty. And we can observe it and study it and that there's norms. There's things that he did that are constant, like gravity, for example. So what atheists like to do now is they like to take scientific methods and take norms of order and then come and write books and tell you, the world is full of disorder. And i figured that out through science and reason and formulas that you gave me from your Christian worldview. Do you see the contradiction? Do you see that atheism is one giant contradiction? Another image for you would be it's like they don't have a ladder to get higher or above us, but they take our ladder of the Christian worldview. They climb the ladder. They stand above us and they tell us that we're wrong. They tell us that we're telling people lies and deceiving them with God and telling them to believe in creation. And then what they do is they kick down the ladder and say, oh, no, no. Can't use that anymore. I'm using it just to prove your point wrong. Secular professors and atheists are using reason and science that they got from Christians to tell us that Christianity is wrong. So, so, We could easily point our fingers to all those outside of this room and tell them that they're wrong and we're right. But I want to ask you are you functionally an atheist and just as crazy as they are and a walking contradiction because you say you believe in God, but you don't act like it? Do you still believe in God when He doesn't seem to answer your prayers the way you like? Do you still want to believe in God when suffering and pain happens in your life? Because a lot of people don't like the existence of God at that point. Do you still want to believe in God when things are going well and you don't need Him anymore? Do you see what's worse than just atheism? Is when we, Christians, we say we believe in God, but we don't act like He actually exists. We disregard Him We live for ourselves. The greater madness is our functional atheism when we doubt, not choose to trust Him, and choose our sin instead. The first commandment says there is no other gods, there is one God. God is your God. He needs to be the highest and supreme authority. It doesn't mean just pick a God. It doesn't mean when it says there shall be no gods before me that there's other gods to choose from. The Egyptians sure thought there was. The Israelites might have thought there was. But the Bible does not say I just want there to be Yahweh as the supreme God above all the others. No. There's one God. Everything else is created things. And we should worship the God of the Bible, not as the highest, but as the only exclusive God there is to choose from. He should be yours and yours alone. That's why he says, I am the Lord, your God. He speaks personally in verse 1 and 2. Do you see that? I'm your God, and I want you to be mine. I want you to be my treasured possession. That's from chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. I'm giving you these commands and making this covenant because you're my special treasured possession. He's making a covenant. So imagine a wedding is happening here in Exodus 19 through 24. Vows are being made. Promises are being made. And he's saying, I want you to stand before me with no one else. Have you gone to a wedding where the bride brought up another lady with her and said, yeah, I'd like us to marry two people to you today? That normally doesn't go so well. Could you imagine, guys? Down comes the bride and it's not the father holding, it's two women. Whoa, 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 I just want one. That's what this phrase before me, in my presence, no, 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 I'm making a covenant now. This is like a wedding ceremony and I do not want you to bring anyone else with you. Exclusive love and devotion and obedience to this God only. That's the negative side of it. But make sure you understand the positive side. You get God. He's yours. He wants to be yours exclusively, but that means you get to have Him exclusively. He wants you, He desires you. He wants to be fully devoted to you so that you could be fully devoted to Him. Most people are okay with you believing in a God. They will tell you, good for you. That's great. I'm glad that helps you. You go to church on Sundays and read your Bible. Meet throughout the week with Christians. If that's what works for you, hey, go for it. What they don't like is when you say, no, this is your God too. That's really offensive, isn't it? That they need to put off every other God or idol, every other allegiance, affection, love, And exclusively choose Jesus Christ, the God of Israel. So you have to make a decision. That's what this command is asking you. Make a decision. You will have no other gods before me. Decide. Am I your God? Do you remember the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? Elijah comes near to all the people, and this is what he says in 1 Kings 18 How long will you go limping between two different options? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people didn't answer. They were like us. We don't want to make decisions, they wanted to keep their options open. If God is God, then choose him. If all these other gods are working out so well, then choose them. But no choosing both. Jesus said you cannot have two masters. You will either hate the one or love the other. Be devoted to one or despise the other. So that's the positive side. Not just that you should reject all others, but that you should be fully devoted, completely chosen of God and God alone. So why should we obey this command? Well, because there's no one else to obey. And what is it that we're obeying? We're obeying the command that there is one God. All others are shams. All others are false. Exclusive monotheism. Thirdly, how do you obey this command? How do you obey the command to have no other gods before me and have full, total allegiance to this God and no one else? Before I give you, I'm going to give you three steps, but before I do, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page here this morning. If at this point in the service you're thinking, how do I obey this? Because you're thinking, you know, I just need a little encouragement here because I'm doing pretty well. Just a little help. The reason we need this question, how do I obey this command, is because all of us, all of us are not giving full and total allegiance to Jesus Christ. All of us need this question answered desperately. We're all sinners. So step one, how do you obey the command to have no other gods before me? Step one, believe that God is God and that you are not. That's first and foremost. God is God. You are not. I'm the Lord your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. First, most important thing I want to tell you, notice he didn't say believe in yourself. Trust in yourself. Draw a circle, put your name in it, and put everything around you. No, God is the first and most foundational command in the Ten Commandments. And he's not just the first and most foundational command. He's the first and most foundational thought in the Bible. In the beginning, God. It all begins with God. The Ten Commandments have been with God because it's the most important command. The Bible begins with God because you're supposed to see it's all about God. You will never obey any of the commands that we will go through in this series until you first believe that God is God and that you are not. That's step number one. Get off the throne. Step number two. Realize that Jesus Christ, believe that Jesus Christ is the one true God that we're talking about. Jesus Christ is the one true God that is being spoken of here in verse 3 of chapter 20. In John ten verse thirty, Jesus said, "I and the Father are one." In John fourteen verse nine, he says, "Anyone who has seen me," as he's speaking to Philip, he says, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father." In Acts chapter four verse twelve, there is salvation in no one else; there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. One name. And First Timothy two five, I think this one's the clearest of them all. There is one God. There is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Like, could that be more clear? You have no other gods before me. That's what the Old Testament says. There's one God. We believe in monotheism. Jesus comes along. Do we believe in two gods now? No. You see me. You've seen the Father. There is one God, and it is the man, Christ Jesus. So add step one and step two together. There is one God. It is the man Christ Jesus. So believe that Jesus Christ is God. You are not. And don't just give lip service to this. Some of us are like people who accidentally turn on their turn signal when they're driving and then they leave them on. I had this happen to me this week. I was driving on Interstate 90. It was raining. I was wanting to pass somebody that was driving extremely slow and cautious in the rain. I wasn't trying to speed. I try and obey the commandments sometimes. And so I'm waiting and I see their turn signal and I'm thinking, okay, I'll either pass them. Oh, I don't need to pass them. They're about to move over into the next lane. And so I'm like, I'll just let them move over and then I'll pass them that way. And then the turn signal is still there. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't think they're changing lanes. I think they're just staying right where they are, right by the shoulder, nice and close. I think that's what some of us are like. We look like that car. Eventually, you come to the realization, yeah, you're just giving lip service to this. I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus is the one true God. But you're not actually doing anything that makes your life look like you're changing lanes. You come on Sundays and you got your turn signal on. I'm turning. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn away from my sin. I'm doing it. I'm going to listen to you this time, Pastor Phil. I'm going to get good counsel. I'm going to actually obey the Bible. Nope, you're just doing your turn signal. You don't have any intention to really changing lanes. Believe that God is God and actually get off the throne of your life. Do you think your life would look different if you actually let God be in control of it? When you believe that He knows what's best, that His laws are for your good. Or you just keep saying that as lip service. Step number three. We need to believe that God is God, that you are not, that Jesus is that God. And as we do so, we need to actually repent of our sin and turn, not just put on our turn signals. Step three. Believe that all of your sinning is ultimately a rejection of Jesus as God. All of your sinning is further evidence that you have rejected God as God and you're back on the throne. Anytime you sin, you're turning away from Jesus to someone else. So again, imagine it's a covenant, it's a marriage wedding ceremony. You're standing at The altar before your spouse, there's Jesus. Every time you sin, I want you to get this picture. This is what drove it home to me. Every time I choose sin, it's like I'm turning around and I'm saying, yeah, I want someone else. Jesus, I'll just leave you there. I'm I'm gonna go after someone else. Every time. Any time that you are not trusting God, you're choosing someone else. Listen to what Martin Luther says about this. Anyone who does not at all times trust God in all of their works, in all of their sufferings, in their life and their death, but instead seeks other things, they are not obeying the first commandment. Even if they obeyed all the other nine commandments and even added to those commands all their prayers and petitions, all their sacrifices and generosity to the church and the poor and their patience and their chastity, the chief work would still not be present. Without obeying this first command, all the other commandments are just a sham. They are a show, a pretense. If we doubt and not believe that God is gracious to us and pleased with us and presumptuously expects to please him by obeying these other commands, then it is all just pure deception. You are outwardly trying to honor God, but inwardly you are setting yourself up as a false savior. Failure to believe that God accepts us in Christ and look at something else for your salvation is failure to obey the first commandment. If you're trying today to obey the commandments, be a good Christian and be a moral person, and you're not looking to God and Jesus to be your everything for you, then you're not even obeying those other commandments, no matter how good you think you're doing. You're trying to earn your own salvation. You're trying to make yourself your own Savior. And you're breaking the first commandment and making God your God. You cannot keep any commands until you first understand this first one God is God. Through Jesus Christ, He offers salvation. You can't get salvation through anyone else. That's why, beneath all sins, is the sin of rejecting the gospel, rejecting Jesus. All sins are just self-salvation projects. For example, if any of you cheated on your taxes and your income tax form. Why did you do that? You could say, well, because I'm a sinner and I want more money. I don't like the government. No, why did you do that? Luther would have said, because you've made money your God. Because status and comfort is more important to you than God. Let's say someone lies. Have you ever lied before? We'll get to that commandment in a few weeks. When you lie, you're not just lying. You're choosing pleasing someone else instead of telling the truth. You're choosing your reputation than being really honest and laying it all out there. Those things are your God's. If you learn this fundamental step that God is God, that Jesus is that God, and that any time you sin you're rejecting the gospel, then you will know how to obey the commandments through the gospel. Believing that Jesus has all that you need You don't need to lie. Your reputation does not need to be fixed. It already has been. You don't need more money. You have all of the treasures of heaven and earth in your inheritance because you are the brother of Jesus. And the son and the daughter of the God who created everything. What do you need money for? But every time you sin. Every time your hands or your heart sins. You're saying I don't believe Jesus is those things. I don't believe his promises to provide those things in the future. I don't believe he's those things for me now in the present. You don't believe that Jesus is your everything. You don't believe what you just sang. How great is our God? No, he's not that great. I like this more. So the antidote is every single day, every week, we come before one another and we tell you Jesus is great. That's the antidote. That's how you obey the commandments. It's to realize that there's one God, that there's no other gods. Don't put anything else before him. And when he becomes that God on the throne and he's worthy in your eyes, then these other things, you're not going to worry about your reputation because you're a child of the king. You're not going to worry about your finances as much because you have a full inheritance. You're not going to worry about Your intimacy and your relationships with the opposite sex because you realize it's just a temporary foreshadowing of my marriage with Jesus? Do you see how this works? The antidote is for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit and realize that God is great. So we sing songs. Behold our God. How great is he? Come on, let's sing together. How great is he? We're trying to encourage one another every week as we gather. This God is so good. And I know in your lives, all of us are a room full of sinners. This most fundamental thing, we struggle all the time. No, he's not that great. I like this better. I want to be in control. So let's see Jesus as great as we look to his word, as we encourage one another every Sunday, as we go downstairs. Let's not just sit around and talk about sports and rain and weather and what your plans are for the next week. Let's tell each other, God's great. Let's encourage each other in that way. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we give you thanks now for how good you are. We give you thanks for being great And that nothing we can say will add to your greatness. Nothing we can do will take away your greatness. You are who you are. We thank you, God, that you've revealed yourself to us, that we can know your greatness. We thank you that you love us so much that you command us. What a command of love this is. How thankful we should be that you give us commands to stop choosing worthless idols and choose you. All that will do is satisfy our longing hearts and our souls that are thirsty. God, we're so thankful that you would love us this way and give us these commands and begin them so clearly. So, our prayer is that as we go from here, as we sing these next two songs, God, our prayer is that we will not be lip service Christians, that we will leave here beholding the glory of Jesus, transformed from one degree of glory to another, that we will leave this room, head downstairs, we will speak of your greatness, we will tell the nations of your greatness, God, make us like that through your Spirit, because we have been so deceived to make so many other gods. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.